0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. We're going to be in 2 Timothy again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 this morning. And uh, I want to start by telling you a little bit about a a story, a, a true story, that is recorded in the book, um, In the Kingdom of Ice. Uh, it, it tells the story of the Jeanette expedition from the 1870s, 1880s. This, uh, this is a true story. The, the USS Jeanette left uh, in 1879 with the, with the purpose of finding a polar passage. They, they had this belief that if you could just get through this ring of ice around the North Pole, then you would actually find an open sea. That geothermic activity on the North Pole was actually creating a very warm, temperate sea that would cut a, a number of, of days and, and weeks off of travel uh, from one side of the earth to the other. And, and so this, this expedition... They set out in 1979, and it goes absolutely horrible. It is, it is a tragedy. Most of the crew ends up dying after two years of being stuck in the ice because, as all of us may know, um, there, there isn't a polar sea at the North Pole. The reality is not just that this is a story that ends in tragedy, is also a story that begins in tragedy because this entire expedition was based off of the mistaken belief that if, if you can just, again, make it through this ring of ice, then you'll find a temperate sea and you will be safe. Of course, we know that, that no such thing as a temperate polar sea exists. The maps that they based this expedition on not only were they, were they slightly off, but they were horrifically wrong. And the entire expedition was, was doomed from the very beginning because they were searching for something that did not exist. The foundation, the maps that they were using were wrong and everything else ended up wrong as well. And and this isn't just something that is true of of expeditions, of of travel with maps. In, In a deeper sense, this is true of all of life, isn't it? That if the foundation is wrong, then everything else will end in disaster. In the 400s, there was this African theologian, his name was Augustine, and he argued that the root cause of all discontentment in our lives was having the wrong priorities in our lives, that that our lives weren't put into the proper order, and this caused chaos in our hearts. It caused discontentment in every single facet of our lives. And Augustine, he actually goes further than that, and he doesn't just say that this is an issue of, of discontentment. He actually says that this is where all of the evil and the wrong in the world is rooted this sense of disordered loves, having our loves in the wrong order, having things in the wrong place of priority, escalating less important things above the main things of life. And it is this disordering of all of our love that is the cause of all of the evil that we see in the world. When we start with the wrong foundation, To use the language of the Jeanette expedition, when we start with the wrong map, life is a tragedy, just waiting to happen. Consider, for example, Jesus's words, as we think about what is supposed to be our greatest priority. When we talk about disordered loves, what is supposed to be the love at at the highest point of our lives? Jesus says this in Mark chapter twelve. Jesus answered, "The most important is this: Hear, O Israel." The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus says that the highest love in your life should be for God And then the second highest love in your life should be toward others, that the love that we have for God will overflow into a self-sacrificial love for those around us. And all of the other loves in our lives must be secondary to a love for God and a love for others. And we can look at our own lives and we can see how when we get this wrong, we can see all of the devastating effects in our own lives. But, but Jesus and really the entire Bible gives us this picture of what is wrong or what will happen when we get this wrong as well. Consider, for example, Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 tells us the story of Adam and Eve, and it also tells us the story of their disordered loves. God has given Adam and Eve a command. He says, I don't want you to eat of the tree, uh, this this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you abstain from that, if you refuse to eat of this forbidden fruit, that is actually an act of love. You are submitting your desires to my desires according to God. And yet if you eat of this tree, you're not you're not you're, you're you're not thinking that, that I love you. You're, you're no longer walking forward in faith. You are instead escalating or elevating yourself into the place where I am. To to not eat of the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an act of faith. Saying, God, I I may not fully understand this, but I, I trust that you are good and you know what is best. It's an act of obedience saying, God, I, I again, I don't really understand this, but out of my love for you, I believe that I should keep your commands. I I want to do what you are asking of me. And why do they eventually eat of the tree? Why do they eventually eat this forbidden fruit? Why do they, they disobey God? It's because they eventually start to escalate or elevate themselves above God. They love themselves and their own desires, their own wants, more than they love God. The serpent casts doubt onto the character of God, the goodness of God, and they begin to believe that God is holding out on them, and they begin to believe God doesn't have their best interests in mind, and they don't, if they don't look after themselves, then no one else is going to. And so they choose love for self over a love for God. In short, their loves get disordered. They elevate what they want over what God wants. I think Augustine is onto something when he argues that all of evil is, is rooted in having the wrong priorities in, in our love. And actually, I think that's what, what Paul says in this morning's passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. They are a, a very unique passage. It lists all of this evil that exists in the world. And this is the longest list like this in the Bible. List lists 15 different things that are wrong, 15 different types of evil that exist in our world that can crop up in our hearts when we have our loves disordered. And yet, in the midst of all of these different things, these different issues plaguing humanity, Paul doesn't want us to just beat ourselves up with this. Say, okay, well, if you're doing any of these things, then you are in the wrong. He wants us to see the cause. He wants us to address the root issue. It isn't just that you're proud. It's not just that you're arrogant or that you're abusive. It is first and foremost that you have your loves wrong, that you love yourself more than God, or you love yourself more than others. We're going to take some time to, to work our way through this text. And what I, what I want us to do is just work through these, these few verses uh, in three parts. First, I want us to, to consider the danger of disordered love today in what Paul refers to as the last days. Second, I want us to consider how all of rebellion is rooted in having the wrong priorities in our love. And the third thing I want us to see is that this is an issue that is primarily found Or or at least it's not primarily found, but it's it's Paul's primary concern to root out idolatry, disordered loves in the church. So that's kind of the roadmap of what we'll be following this morning. We're gonna pray as we jump into God's word. I ask you to uh, to bow your heads and pray with me as well, Father. As we uh, as we consider this passage, I ask that you would search our hearts, God. That you uh, we confess that you know our deepest loves, our deepest desires, even more than we ourselves do. Lord, it's our desire that we would be faithful. Help us to pattern our lives around the gospel. Help us to pattern our lives around the work that you have done in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul starts here. He begins by by encouraging us not to be surprised when we face difficulty in this life. That's really his first point. He he says, uh, you know what? Disordered love is is just the cause of difficulty that you are going to experience. When you have your loves messed up, then everything else is going to be wrong as well. Take a look at verse 1. He says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now when we hear that phrase or that, those two words, the last days, a lot of times our minds can run to the end. We can be thinking of, of the end times and, and the things that are going to happen right before Jesus returns. And it's pretty easy for us to look at this list, especially in verses 2 through 5, and see all of these, these evils that exist and, and just look around Don't actually look around because then your people, the people sitting next to you might think that you're thinking that they are guilty of these evils, but we can just look around generally and see, oh, all of these things are true today, so the end of the world must be just right around the corner. And in one sense, you know, that's that's true. Jesus says that his return is coming very soon, and elsewhere, Jesus says, points out that that we need to be continually ready for his return because we have no idea when he is going to return. But most of the time when the New Testament uses this phrase, the last days, it is is not typically referring to time right before the end or or, or the end times. It is instead referring to the time or this era between Jesus' resurrection and his return. And that's the case here. If you look at verse 5, after Paul is talking about all of these things that are going to come in the last days, the, the last few words of verse 5, Paul is, is talking to Timothy. He says, I want you to avoid these types of people. He's saying, Timothy, you are living in the last days. You're living in this time between Jesus' return and his, or excuse me, you're living in between Jesus' resurrection and his return. And so you have to be aware of the difficulties that you will face. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews points this out as well. He, He says this, Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son. The author of Hebrews is saying Jesus ushers in the last days. Peter, as he's giving this sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, quotes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament says, in the last days, the Holy Spirit is going to fall on people. and, And Peter says, hey, look around. The Holy Spirit has just fallen on us. This is a sign that we are living in the last days. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophecy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. So we are all living in the last days, in this era of human history, in the era of redemption between Jesus' resurrection and his return. This already of Jesus' victory over sin and death, and yet the the not yet uh, of still seeing death and still seeing decay all around us. And Paul is saying, when you live in these last days, I do not want you to be surprised or or caught off guard by the difficulty that you will face. If you were with us last week, we were looking at the, the passage right before this. And in that passage, Paul is talking about the importance of gentleness and the importance of kindness. And he says, you should be a kind people. Kindness should be in all of your interactions. It should govern everything that you do with the hope that those that you are interacting with will be led to repentance. That your winsome kindness will bring people to repentance. And here... Paul is picking up right after that, and he says, I don't want you to to be too optimistic. I I want us to also be realistic that, that while God does use kindness in interactions, it isn't a guarantee that when you are kind to people, that it will necessarily lead to their repentance, That they will therefore necessarily be forced or coerced into becoming a Christian. Many people will ignore you when you are kind to them. And that's the best case scenario. Others will be actively working against you. So Paul is saying, what I want you to, re- to do is, while I want you to be kind, and I want that to be the focus of all of your relationships and your interactions with other people, I also want you to recognize that we are living in the last days, and you will face difficulty. You will face challenges. And as we're going to see in just a few seconds, all of this comes from disordered loves, both from ourselves and from those who are around us. Some people, many times us included, have no real interest in the things of God. We don't like being corrected. We don't like being rebuked, even if it is done with kindness. We don't like being told that our lives need to be reordered. In short, we respond this way when our greatest loves are threatened. When someone tells us that we need to reprioritize the order of our loves in our lives. Now, I've I've mentioned that this passage is focused on disordered loves a a number of times. You've been been patient with me. Where am I getting that from here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5? The, The focus is in verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4. It simply just tells us this. Rebellion against God is rooted in disordered love. All rebellion against God is rooted in disordered love. Take a look at verses 2 through 4. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a mouthful. Paul lists a number of things right there of what is wrong with the world. But if you look a bit closer at what Paul is saying here, he's not just listing this long list of evil. He's actually got a bookended by talking about love. He starts in verse 2 by talking about disordered love. He says, in these last days, some people will be lovers of self. And he goes on and says, some people will be lovers of money. And then he, you skip forward or skip to the, to the end of this passage. He says, some people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And in between these statements of having wrong loves in our lives, he lists all of these things that will result when we have our loves misordered. All sorts of evil come from not loving the main thing the most. Good things. We love good things. It's okay to to love yourself. In fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 assumes that we will. A good thing. But it has been elevated over the main thing. And Paul argues that this is where all sorts of evil in our lives come from. In other words, we are idolaters. We are idolaters. We worship self rather than worshiping God. We worship money rather than loving others well. We worship pleasure. We seek after pleasure rather than going to uncomfortable places because God is calling us to do so. All of us, no matter how religious we may be or how irreligious we are, we are worshipers. The question isn't, do you worship? The question is, what or or whom do you worship? Here's what this text is saying. When your loves are misaligned, when you have something else, even a good thing, elevated above loving God, evil will fester. If my highest love in my life is self, if that is the number one priority in my life is to make sure that self is taken care of, then I will do all that I can to look after myself before I consider others. I will be consumed with my self-image. I will make sure that others treat me with the respect that I believe that I deserve. All of my life will be viewed through this lens of what is in this for me. Same thing is true with money. If money is my highest love, then the idea of being generous is absolutely unthinkable. The idea uh, of letting my own, hands, which are are clenched tightly around my possessions. Letting go goes against my highest priority. Why would I let go? Because it's mine, and it is not just mine, it's my highest love. And this results in greed, isolation from others, selfishness. Now, as, as I mentioned, Paul, he lists 15 different ways that this disordered love shows up in our hearts. I think it's important for us to look at all of them, and we're going to do that here in a a few seconds. But I want us to also recognize that this isn't meant to be comprehensive, that's not Paul's focus. He's, he's not saying that all of these, these 15 things, they're rooted in having your loves wrong, but things like theft or, or murder, well, that's, that's not an issue that we are talking about right now. He, he doesn't want us to miss the, the forest for the trees. He's talking about all of this evil in the world, it exists because our love is off. It's misdirected. It's, it's slightly wrong. And when the foundation is wrong, Tragedy will ensue. Now, as I was I was preparing this past week for this text, uh, I really wrestled with how do we work our way through it. On on the one hand, we could go through all fifteen of these, right? And uh, some of them would be a lot like reading the dictionary. I'd say, all right, so this word "proud," you know what it means? It means being proud. Let's go on to the next one. All right, this this word "arrogant." You know what that means? It means being arrogant. I just did it. Why did I do that? What I want us to do is I just want to summarize each of these different areas um, into to four primary categories of, of evil that we see crop up in our hearts when we are loving good things more than the main thing. So uh, hopefully you'll find this helpful. The first one is this. When my love is disordered, I will be consumed with self. When I have my love wrong, I will be consumed with self. This is what Paul has in mind when he talks about pride. He talks about arrogance. He talks about being ungrateful. He talks about being conceited. When we take Jesus's words seriously to love God and love others first and foremost, it means that there is no room for pride in our lives. There's no room for arrogance. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus and other people, we don't we don't spend time worrying about whether or not we're getting ours. Our focus is elsewhere. A love for God, love for other people. It keeps our view of ourselves in the right perspective. We don't start to think of ourselves more highly than we should. In the same way, we don't, we don't actually think of ourselves less than we should either. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's the focus here. A a, a humble person can rejoice when a good thing happens, whether it's because they did it or someone else does it, it, and they rejoice in the exact same way. But when we don't make loving God and loving others our chief aim, then then ourselves, we, our love for ourselves, that will fill into that vacuum. Our ego will expand into the, the, the space that we give it. When we remove God from the equation, we stop being grateful. We begin to think that, that we are the cause of all of the good in our lives. When our loves are disordered, when we have our loves off, it will result in, in this con, just being consumed with ourselves. Paul lists another one, a second category, when my love is disordered, I will be consumed with the passions of the flesh, the passions of the flesh. The the Bible uses this term, the flesh, to refer to to being ruled by passions rather than being in control of your passions. That's what Paul has in mind when he talks about lacking self-control, being reckless, and being brutal. A life that, that loves God supremely will be, desire, will be guided by this desire to honor him in all of our lives. When God is seated on the throne of our lives, we let him be the one who makes the decisions, who, who, who controls the actions in our lives, who controls our, our thoughts, who controls our speech. But when God is not seated on that throne, we instead are ruled by our passions, we are ruled by our pleasures. One area where I think this is is really, really clear is how our culture defines masculinity. 250 years ago, masculinity was defined by self-control. If you were able to say no to your passions whether those were were sexual or whether they were violent impulses, whatever those passions were, if you were able to say no to those impulses, then you were considered strong, admirable, powerful. And yet that's the exact opposite of what we see today, isn't it? Today, power is defined by violence, by sexual exploitation, Paradoxically, our, our culture sees power and strength by the very same thing that actually shows that we are weak, that we are not in control of our passions. We are weak in the area where it matters the most. And we become brutal because of that. We, we just say, well, that, that's the way I was made. We, we lose all of our self-control and we say, well, we're just following our hearts, We become reckless and we just say, well, we've been true to ourselves. At the core of this is disordered love. When our love is off, when we love ourselves or or money or, or pleasures more than anything else, then we are consumed with the flesh. Third category, when my love is disordered, I am unconcerned for others. I am unconcerned for others. This is what Paul has in mind when he mentions Being abusive, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, treacherous. And this makes a a good deal of sense, right? That if you are the chief end of your life, when you're the most important thing in your own life, then you don't care about other people. You just won't care about other people. The word abusive here, it, it refers to abusive speech. When we tear down others' in order to build ourselves up, when we use our tongues to leave behind carnage so that we can feel better about ourselves. Unappeasable here gets at the heart of this unforgiving attitude that when we have been wronged by other people, we refuse to forgive. No matter how contrite that person may be, no matter how much they may ask for forgiveness, we refuse to let our anger toward them be appeased. Because the greatest Most important thing in our lives, me, has been wronged, and nothing that you can do will satisfy my sense of being wronged. You have attacked my God, and you will pay for it. That's what Paul has in mind when he talks about being unappeasable. Here we see the importance of having our loves in the proper place. The only way that we can truly be concerned with other people is to love God and then to love others as well. Otherwise, we might, we might be nice. We might be polite toward other people, but only when it's convenient or only when it is beneficial for us. Paul's concerned that we would actually love others sacrificially even if it comes at a cost to ourself. And that starts with a love for God and a love for other people as well. Third or Fourth category is this. When my love is disordered, I am unconcerned with God's plan for flourishing. That's a mouthful. When my love is disordered, I am unconcerned with God's plan for flourishing. Basically, we don't think that, that God's plan, his, his instructions, his, his guidance on how we are to live our lives, the the law that he has given us and how we are supposed to structure and order the things that we do and the things that we say, the way that we think. We say, you know what, God, I, I don't think that you have this figured out. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go my own way. If you are the number one, the most important thing in your life, then you aren't going to give all of that much thought to God's picture of human flourishing. Now, that's really what God's law is. It's, it's just how God has set up his world for you to flourish, for you to live your best life. And it's by being faithful to what God has commanded in the Scriptures and that's picture of human flourishing, radically different than what the world tells us about the good life. Paul says so as he is talking about this. He's talking about people who are being disobedient to their parents, that they're unholy, that they're not loving the good, that these evils are, are, are rooted in this alternative picture of the good life, lives that don't have a love for God and a love for other people as their highest aim. All sorts of evils will crop up in our lives when we don't keep the main thing, the main thing. When we substitute the love that we have for God with any other thing, the result is chaos. And in part, that's what Paul is is closing with in in verse 5. He tells Timothy to avoid this type of person. Verse 5 Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Paul, he's not concerned so much with avoiding people outside the church who are ruled by idols. He's concerned with those who are inside the church and are ruled by idols and to avoid that type of person. Disordered love leads to dead religion in the church. That's his concern. If, if your loves are, are out of whack, if you have idols in your lives, then, then you are someone that may have the appearance of godliness and yet is lacking all power. That the Holy Spirit is not at work in your life, that you are not being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I want you to avoid people like that. That this sense of, of godliness that we might see in our lives is just a facade. That's fake if we have the wrong priorities in our lives. What a powerful warning. What a powerful warning that, that Paul gives here. That's the heart of this passage. It's just a warning. He says, You know what? I want you to beware of the danger of disordered love. Beware of the danger of disordered love, the foundation of all evil thoughts all evil actions in our lives. It's just a heart that is idolatrous, that loves maybe good things more than the main thing. And so we ask, well, how, how do I respond to this danger of disordered love? One of, one of the things is just really clear. Paul, he's, he's talking to Timothy and he says, you know what, I want you to avoid people like this in the church He's in a very contentious church culture, and there's a lot of false teachers around. He says, Timothy, I don't want you to even worry about them. Just, just ignore them. Don't, don't waste energy on, on those people. Just be focused on the good in life. But I think the danger for us is to just look at this as, as something where we're just avoiding other people. And Jesus, he says, you know what? You should take the log out of your own eye before you pull a speck out of someone else's eye. And so, so really, we need to start with ourselves, examining our own hearts, our own lives seeing, seeing what do we value the most in our lives what what are what is the order of our loves what, what do i love it might be a good thing but what do i love a, a little too much what what do i feel threatened by when something happens to to my family or 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 to to my job or, or to my sense of, of self or or my pleasures or or my possessions and those might be the things that i love a little bit too much. Beware the danger of disordered love. How do we fix this? How do we fix this this disordering of our lives? How do we keep the main thing, the main thing in our lives? We replace false worship with true worship. We replace false worship with true worship. We're all worshipers. We are going to worship one way or another. We can't just cut these things out of our lives. Say, I'm no longer going to love myself the most. It creates a vacuum and something else will fill it. The only way to combat false worship is with true worship. That's where life transformation begins. With true worship. With having a reordering of our loves to fit into God's plan of how he intends for us to live life, to love God, to love others. And when we're guided by that, all of the evils in our hearts, they might not go away right away, but we've killed the root. And we're not addressing just the symptoms or addressing the cause. Beware the danger of disordered love. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is. God, we ask that you would help each and every one of us to examine our hearts and examine our lives that you would give us eyes to see what it is in our hearts that we hold a little too tightly to. What it is in our lives that competes with you for the throne. We ask that you, as you reveal these things to us, that you would forgive us and give us the strength To see our lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we don't want to be a people who just have the appearance of godliness. We want to experience the the transforming power of your Spirit. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us and may God continue to enrich your life.